If you've got a Bible, please take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 of chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one of the black ones in the chair rack in front of you. Page 977 spills over to the next page as well, I believe. It's also on the inside cover of your bulletin. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12. Without further ado, let's hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Thus far, God's word, may he add his blessings to it. The, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, is Bible says, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let's ask his blessing as we consider his word this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we come to you this morning. We need you for many things. We need you to sustain us, to give us shelter, to keep us warm. We need you to give us daily bread. We need you to give us all that we need for life and godliness. So as we look to your word, would you give us ears to hear? eyes to see, hearts that are ready to respond to all that you have to say to us, your people. We ask it all in Jesus' great name. Amen. Unity, not uniformity, is the church's goal. Unity amidst diversity. One body with many parts, one body with many gifts, who all exalt the same giver of the gifts and who all build up the body of Christ. Again, unity does not equal uniformity. We don't have to dress alike, for example. Might be embarrassed if we show up to church and realize that someone is dressed like us, right? Don't have to dress alike. The Bible doesn't say that. And common sense shows us that uniformity isn't always a good idea. Exhibit A, that uniformity, not a good idea. Rick Smith's shaved head. Now, many of you don't know that reference. Don't worry, I'll explain. 1988, the Indiana Pacers, the basketball team, had a great season. Going into the playoffs, they thought they needed an edge because they were eventually going to have to face Michael Jordan in the two-time champion Chicago Bulls. And so in an act of team solidarity, they said, let's all shave our heads. Now, if you have a shaved head, you've probably looked in the mirror at some point and said to yourself, yeah, this look works for me or it doesn't, or, oh, I've got a pretty pronounced bump right there. Maybe this is a bad idea, right? Rick Smith's is many things. He's a seven foot, four inch, kind of gawky, awkward looking guy. Good teammate, good basketball player, has a great nickname, the Duncan Dutchman. You know what he didn't have? The most handsome shaved head. When I stumbled upon a Reddit comment this week, I saw someone said, nine-year-old me was frightened of bald Rick Smith's. I thought that was funny. I'm maybe, maybe the only one, but... All of that adds up to tell me that uniformity might sometimes be overrated. By the way, Smiths and his team, they lost in seven games to the Bulls. But unity, uniformity might be overrated, but what about unity? What has our passage been telling us for several weeks? 
Unity isn't overrated. Unity is something we need to be eager to strive to maintain it. But at the same time, we shouldn't expect uniformity. I shouldn't expect your life, uh, your gifts to be just like, to look just like mine. Should we all expect one another to exhibit the same fruit of the Spirit? Oh yes, the same humility or gentleness or patience or forbearance and love that are mentioned earlier in chapter 4. Oh yes, but not uniformity, not of appearance, not of gifts. We all need to realize this, that Christ has given every Christian a gift to equip you to build up other Christians in the church. That's how we find unity amidst diversity. Not through uniformity, through diverse gifts with one goal, building up other Christians around us in gratitude for God's ultimate gift of salvation. That's what we see today. Let's break it down. Four parts, four truths. The first one is this. Every Christian receives a gracious gift. Every Christian receives a gracious gift. You see it in verse 7. What's Paul's focus for the verses before that? Verses 1 through 6. It's this idea of unity or oneness, right? You see unity appear in verse 3, and then that word one gets mentioned seven times in verses 4 through 6. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and four other times it mentions it. And then comes the transition in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us. The word one, again, but it's each one this time, right? It's talking about gifts. It's talking about these skills or abilities that, uh, that we see later on uh, in more detail. And it's, it's implying some interesting things, isn't it? Grace was given to each one of us. Not only that we all get different gifts, not only that everyone gets a gift, it's also implying that some people might get more gifts. They might get better gifts. Now that could easily lead us to jealousy, right? But that misses the point because the point is each of us receive a gift. Reminds me of something someone told me recently. I was talking with a retired pastor. I was asking him about evangelism because I knew that his church had planted many, many, excuse me, many churches. Wanted to learn more, glean some wisdom from him. And his response with some of his trademark hyperbole, I'm sure, was this. Well, I stink at personal evangelism. But I realized I could be an effective evangelist from the pulpit, asking and answering questions that are common to non-Christians. I could help our church create ministries to disciple new believers, he said. And God equipped me to do that. And after years of discontent, I finally became content with what God had given me. Do you hear that? God gave me these gifts. He didn't give me those gifts. So I decided to be content with these gifts, the ones he gave me. And while our gifts might be different, again, the point is we all get a gift. We all all get grace. Did you notice the way it's phrased? Grace was given, it says in verse 7. The gifts come later. God's gifts to us, they are an act of His grace, His his undeserved favor. But the the gifts themselves are not where we ultimately find our value. We find value not in the varied grace of God that leads to these varied gifts. Each gets a gift. We find our value in God's saving grace, the grace that we all get. The grace that saved us all when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. 
See, that's where we find unity, not in the diverse gifts, but in the common position, the common um, uh, statement that we see about ourselves, that we are all dead in sin by nature, but by God's grace, we are alive in Christ. We all have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yes, every Christian receives a gift, a gift to serve the church, but, but before that, what precedes that? The gift of new life in Christ. See, if we focus so much on the uniqueness, the diversity, our wonderful gifts, good as they might be, we might lose sight of the giver of all those gifts, which is where we turn now, our second point. Christ is the champion and giver of our gifts. Christ is the champion and giver of our gifts. We see it in verses 8 through 10. Might be a little confusing. It doesn't have to be. Let's read. We'll start in verse 7 so we can see the transition here. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. <clears throat> We've covered verse 7, grace, gifts were given. Verse 8 tells us where. Those gifts came from. He uses this interesting Old Testament quote from Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68 is a prayer of David. He is asking the victorious warrior God who led his people into the promised land to lead his people to victory once again, to not let their enemies win and prevail over them. And by the way, God's people have always had enemies in every age. And we are still called as we we're in the first century to love them, to pray for them, just like first century Christians who faced physical and financial persecution. But, but as David says, he asks God to lead them to victory once again. As he does that, he pictures God ascending on high with the conquered captives behind him, those who've been defeated, receiving gifts from those who've been defeated and then giving gifts to his people. See, that's what conquering kings did back then. They plundered those whom they defeated and then they share the spoils of victory with their people. And then verse 9 continues. It's in parentheses. You might notice this verse in the next. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Verse 10 makes clear we're now talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who ascended. You see what Paul's doing here. He's remembering this psalm. This psalm where David pictured God ascending on high, uh, being victorious, sharing gifts with his people. And he's like, this is like what Jesus has done here and now, recently, in just uh, in the last few years. And he, he says that Jesus has ascended. That, that means he must have also descended into, quote, the lower regions, the earth. Now, some translations may say something like the lower parts of the earth. And some wonder if this is teaching about a literal descent into hell by Christ. Now, I don't believe the passage is clearly teaching that. In fact, I don't believe any passage in the Bible clearly teaches a literal descent into hell by Christ. I do believe Christ suffered all the pains of hell on the cross for our sake. I do believe hell exists, place of conscious eternal torment. I do believe that Christ ransomed his people from eternity in hell, which we deserve. 
And that when we trust in Christ, we do not have to fear hell. We can say, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And furthermore, I do believe Paul is making this point. The Christ who gave us gifts. He's the one who descended, who left his father's throne above and descended to earth and ascended back to heaven. That he lowered himself, humiliating himself, humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. And that the one who was made low was also exalted to God's right hand, as it says here, far above all the heavens. Verse 10. And why did he do all that? That he might fill all things. That he might build up his body through the gifts that he's given them. And how did he earn those gifts? Now you see the analogy about plundering other people and then giving gifts. These analogies all break down. Every analogy breaks down at some point. He didn't steal and plunder these gifts. No, he, he earned them by his obedience. He, his obedience that took him to the cross and to the grave for unworthy, undeserving folks like us. We as Christians have many reasons to be grateful. One of them is that the lover of our souls has redeemed us by his grace and has given each of us gifts. Another is that the lover of our souls is a victorious warrior who defends his people, who shares his fullness with us. As we said earlier, every Christian receives a gracious gift. Christ is the champion and giver of those gifts. And furthermore, our third point, the word of God is the clarifying foundation for every gift. It's the clarifying foundation for every gift. Verse 11. Now, you might notice most of the gifts that Paul lists here, they're, they have something in common. They're word gifts. They're, they're teaching gifts. We'll examine those in a minute. But first, you might wonder, why? Why does he mention these? Well, I'll put it this way. All systems tend toward disorder. You've heard that phrase probably, especially our science folks among us. That's the second law of thermodynamics. It's also true of systems of men and women, even of redeemed men and women. It's why Paul tells us, what does he say earlier in the chapter? Maintain this indestructible unity. Now, all Christians, of course, have the Holy Spirit in common, but, but does that prevent us from visibly contradicting that unity? We, we've all done that at times, sadly. We all have to confess that. We are one, but we have to work to maintain unity, don't we? And we all, praise the Lord, have gifts to help us maintain unity. But who's to say that we're going to use our gift for its intended purpose? To serve the body. Can any of us guarantee that we won't at any point use our gift to show off? To make ourselves feel superior to others? Especially those of you who don't have my gift. My gift that's so wonderful, so great. Some of you are smiling. You get the, the point here. I'm being a little bit facetious, right? There's a recent kids movie some of you have seen in Kanto. It's all about gifts, isn't it? Magical gifts in this case, but gifts nonetheless. Gifts which the gifted family uses to help those around them who don't have gifts. So in a sense, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But there's this one family member who doesn't have a gift. Nobody understands why. She begins in time to feel a bit incomplete and others around her begin to look down upon her too, don't they? At the end of the movie, the 
matriarch of the family realizes her error, her arrogance, her harshness in the past. And she says, she sings, you're more than just your gift. Any of us need to hear that this morning? Do we need to be reminded of the purpose of our gifts? And you see, that's why these gifts are listed here. The the word-based gifts to clarify God's word, his purpose, his intention for all these things. Look with me at verse 11. says there, and he gave, Christ gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Uh, This is not a complete list of spiritual gifts. In fact, one scholar says no list in the New Testament is a complete list. And even if you combine all of the lists together, you still not may have, you still may not have an exhaustive list of every spiritual gift. But why mention these gifts here? John Stott says, nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than an ample supply of God-gifted teachers. And he suggests that these so-called, these are the so-called higher gifts that we should desire in 1 Corinthians 12.31, that those are the, the teaching gifts. You might remember one of our recent missionaries said their goal is to raise up teachers and leaders in Africa because while there are many converts, praise the Lord for that, there are not yet many leaders, many teachers among them. So he gives us his word, doesn't he? He gives us his word and he gives us those who interpret, proclaim, clarify his word so that we can clarify how to use our gifts to exalt the church, exalting the head of the church, building up the body, not the individual body parts. Now we'll emphasize that more in a moment, but first notice the gifts that he lists here. He says he gave apostles eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So by definition, we can't have any more apostles today, but we are grateful that they have given us the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And in a lesser sense, you might say that there are some that have apostolic, small a, you know, gifts, pioneering missionaries who go, boldly go where no man has gone before, that sort of thing. He also gave prophets, it says, the mouthpieces of God. In the capital P sense of the word prophet, we have no prophets today. Dale Otterman explained this well in adult Sunday school just a little while ago. Thank you, Dale. No, we didn't plan that. The Holy Spirit did. It usually works better that way. But if we did have other prophets today, we would still have new scripture being written. We know various places, God's word, it says that he has given us all that we need in his word for life and godliness. He's given his word that we might be equipped, complete for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. And yes, in a lesser sense, God still gives some small p prophetic gifts, a penetrating insight into God's word and the power to apply it. And upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, God gave us even more gifts. It says he gave us evangelists. Now you might know a great personal evangelist, my friend that said, I'm not a good personal evangelist. He said one of the reasons it was so hard is he worked for a guy who was, you know, that guy, that guy who could lead CEOs to Christ over the course of a lunch or something like that. If you know those people, uh, tell them we need more of them here. But, But in another sense, aren't we all called to be evangelists? Isn't that just part of being a Christian? Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light? It's why I ask all of our new members, 
during their interviews. What, what's the gospel? And when do you think you first believed it? You might be saying, Matt, I, I'm like your friend you mentioned. I'm not good at this. Okay, understand. But can you cook? Can you buy cookies at the store? Because if so, then you, my friend, can contribute to the engagement ministry team's ongoing efforts to encourage our neighbors at our local schools. Can you invite a friend to come to church with you? To a place where I guarantee you, they, whoever, will hear the gospel every Sunday. Because H.P. Charles recently posted this stat from churchgrowth.com. How do people start attending church? How do they start attending church? What's the factor that brings them in? The following things, a visitation, advertising, even an invite from the pastor, all of those had single-digit percentages, whereas 86% of people said it was because a friend invited them. 86%. Invite a friend. (laughs) It's the most effective way to get someone to church. And once they're here, I guarantee they'll hear the gospel. As far as whether they respond or not, I have to leave that one. We all do. Up to God, up to the Holy Spirit. But God's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then the shepherds and teachers, or pastor teachers with a hyphen, uh, is how some would translate it, because there's one Greek article, the word the, and then there's two nouns to go with it. Pastor teachers, shepherd teachers, all of those ideas are here, because pastors pastor by teaching, whether it's up in the pulpit, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's some other setting, they pastor by teaching, by clarifying what God's Word says. Now, Again, you may wonder why are there so many word-based gifts that we're talking about here. Is, is Matt trying to imply that pastors are the most important ones in the church? Is he being self-serving? No, you see, Paul is actually trying to tell us why all the members of the church and the right use of their gifts, why that is vitally important to the church. And that's what we see next. This is our fourth final point this morning. Building up other Christians is the purpose of our gifts. Building up other Christians is the purpose of our gifts. That's slightly different wording than what's in the bulletin. I changed it, tried to improve it. But you see this in verse 12. We've been building up to this, haven't we? We've seen that every Christian has a gift. We've seen that Christ is the one who gives it to us, the champion, the giver of our gifts. We've seen that Christ gave us the word. He gave us those who clarify that word, teachers. He gave them to us so that we would realize the purpose of our gift, which is what we read about in verse 12. But let's back up, read verse 11 and 12 together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, to be unified, the church has to be mature. What does it say about maturity here? Well, it'll say more in the coming verses next week, but maturity means using our gifts to build one another up. And yeah, how do pastors fit into this equation? Are they, are they supposed to do all the work of the church? No, far from it. Certainly there's a leadership role here along with the elders of the church. But what does it say? All of these word gifts and those who possess them, what does it say they're, they're here for? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers to equip the saints. Who are the saints? It's not these high and lofty people who've never done anything. No, no, no. no. That's not what the New Testament says. Saints 
are people who've been made holy in Christ by Christ's work on the cross. They're ordinary people who've received extraordinary grace. It says the point of all these gifts or gifted people, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Pastors aren't supposed to be hogging all the ministry to themselves. No, they're supposed to multiply it. They're supposed to equip the saints to get busy in ministry, to help them use their gifts for building up the body of Christ. Matt, you don't understand. It's so hard. I, I'm not sure I know what my gift is. I'm good at this. I'm good. I'm not sure. I mean, I can't, I can't find that perfect spiritual gifts inventory test on the internet. And, and when I look for it, I get distracted by the what house in Harry Potter do you belong in test that's also on the internet. But, but I can't find that perfect spiritual gifts inventory. Maybe you don't need one. And you know why? Because the point of our gifts is not for you, not for me, to achieve perfect self-awareness, perfect self-actualization. Okay, I get myself. I, I know what I should do. I've, it's not about yourself. <laughs> the purpose of your gifts is building up others. It's building up the body of Christ. Isn't that what it says here? Ed Welch says it this way. I think it's very helpful that we can't find our gifts in isolation from the body. We have to be in and among the body to find our gifts. He says we must remember that the orientation of God's people is outward rather than inward, and that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to bring unity to the church. He also says, what, what questions should you be asking? Is it, what is my gift? What is the... It should be this. Here's what we should be asking. How can I grow in love for and service to the body of Christ. How can I grow in love? How can I grow in service? Maybe we should ask ourselves that, see if it doesn't help us, a little less introspection and a little more sacrificial service. And if I can just say briefly, snow days are a great way to find that out. There's always a little bit more to do. There's somebody that got snowed in and didn't make it in, somebody who jumps in, somebody who needs a little help shoveling or getting to the car or whatever it might be. But not only how can we find our gifts, how can we help others find their gifts? It's by thanking them. Again, I stole this from Ed Welch. When somebody blesses us, we should thank them in big ways, small ways, public ways, private ways. He says no one should have to ask what their gifts are. We should tell people their gifts as they minister to us. Would that give us greater unity? Would that give us greater unity amidst our diverse gifts. If we asked, how can I grow in love? Love for the church. How can I grow in service to the body of Christ? Who has served me today? Whom do I need to thank? Maybe, you know, we could all just shave our heads and achieve unity that way. Not so sure I like that idea. I think asking those other questions might be a better way to bring unity and maturity to the body. Every member ministry, the goal of any healthy congregation, every member equipped, every member serving, you know, spectators, all of us participants, all of us asking, how can I love? How can I serve? Who can I thank? And if we did that, I wonder if we'd be even more like the church that John Stott once visited. 
It was uh, an American Episcopal church in Connecticut, and their bulletin had some staff listed. It listed the rector and the associate rector. Those are basically Episcopal words for pastors. And then there was another line, more staff listed. It said this, ministers, the entire congregation. Stott wrote, it was startling, but undeniably biblical. Clearly the way the whole body grows is for all of its members to use their God-given gifts. He goes on to talk about a doctrine that was near and dear to Martin Luther, the firebrand of the Protestant Reformation, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. It's been 506 years since Luther started the Protestant Reformation unknowingly in many ways when he nailed those 95 theses, 95 questions, points of debate to the Wittenberg church door, you see he was simply seeking answers to biblical questions. He didn't know what he'd begun. He didn't know the fire that would spread throughout the continent and beyond, the freedom that it would bring. He just wanted answers, an honest debate. So I'll end by asking a few questions of my own. What's your ministry? How are you serving the body of Christ? Whether you have an official title, an official role, or not, how are you serving the body? And how can your church further equip you to serve? You know, Matt, I'm, I'm still not sure I can do this. Maybe that's our fault. Maybe you need to come to us and help us understand how we can equip you better for the work of ministry. Because the simple fact is, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then you've been given a gift by His grace. A gift that He purchased by humbling Himself for you and me. A gift with a purpose that we all might be equipped for the work of ministry, that we might build up the body of Christ. Think about it. Christ left His heavenly throne. He descended to give you a gift, to give the entire body, you and me, a gift. As I've said before, he came to find me just as I am, but he didn't come to leave me just as I am. He came to build me up. He came to change me. He came to keep changing me, to make me more like himself until the day when I see him face to face. And that's true for all of us. Until then, our goal again is unity amidst diversity. Unity not uniformity, until the day when we have complete conformity to Christ. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the gifts and graces that you've given to your church. We thank you for the gifts you've given to us. We thank you most of all for the gift of new life in Christ. Father, whether we find ourselves discouraged because we don't know what our gift is or we think maybe God got it wrong and he didn't give me a gift, or maybe we find ourselves active and serving and tired, weary and well-doing, Father, either way, would you remind us that you have equipped us for service. It's not that we manufactured our own gifts. No, they were given to us and we should be grateful. And yes, we have received a gift. Maybe we don't know what it is. Maybe we need more fine-tuning. Maybe we need to ask some of those questions. How can I love? How can I serve? Who can I thank? But Father, remind us that we have a gift. 
and we have new life in Christ. What a gift that is as well. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen.